Well, if you will, take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Luke, chapter 13, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 today. Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. As you find your way there, swipe your way there, whatever you do to get there, we're in Luke 13. I want to begin reading in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look for... Three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Just this past week, I read the following news headlines. Six killed in a 133-car pileup in Fort Worth, Texas. Dallas police officer killed by a drunk driver. At least three dead of a new Ebola outbreak in West Africa. The U.S. is now approaching 500,000 deaths related to coronavirus. Just yesterday, Coast Guard searching for 16 people off the Florida coast. See, these headlines and many more like them often make their way across our news feeds. And while we may sometimes be temporarily jarred by them, we typically move on past them fairly quickly and move about our day unaffected. After all, those sad, many of these, if not the mass, mass majority of them, have no direct impact upon our daily lives, so we just carry on about our day. Well, here Jesus, as he's continuing in his ministry, is confronted with one of those breaking news headlines, we could say. Someone in the crowd speaks up about an event that everyone around would have known about, a tragic event. People who were murdered, And Jesus is confronted with this. The crowd was likely looking for some type of politically charged commentary on the matter from Jesus. But we know that Jesus takes this story, this event that everyone would have known about, and he takes it a very different route. He took this horrible tragedy and he makes it a lesson that was immediately applicable to everyone around He makes it a lesson on repentance. See it in the text is verse 1, the the event is referenced about these Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus 
immediately addresses the need for everyone to repent. Repentance is a theme found throughout Jesus' teaching ministry. Indeed, the very first recorded words from Jesus in the gospel in his adult ministry is in Mark 1, verse 15, where we're told there Jesus says, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Breaking news, especially when it has to do with suffering or tragedy, we may not think has immediate impact upon our lives, but it is relevant to all of us in the sense that it is a call every time to examine our lives before God. Here in Luke chapter 13, we find a lesson on repentance spurred by these earthly tragedies that everyone around would have known about and would have had thoughts about, maybe even politically or culturally motivated to to respond to, but Jesus makes it clear that these are all opportunities for self-examination. And so what we see here in Luke 13 is two truths regarding repentance. I'm going to walk through those two truths with us this morning, and then at the end I want us to see three implications that we'll draw out for application today. Two truths regarding repentance. First of all, that we see from this text is this. Repentance is a universal need. Repentance is a universal need. You see that in the first five verses. Someone brings this event up that would have been known by everyone. Apparently there were some Galileans killed either as they made their way to the temple or while they were making sacrifices at the temple. Apparently, Pilate had them murdered and then mingled their blood with the sacrifices they came to offer. This was a terrible scene. This was a terrible event that would have happened, horrific. I mean, it would have stirred up quite an emotional frenzy and quite, quite a response from everyone around And while it's not stated here in the text, Jesus seems to sense that some in the crowd were implying that the reason that these Galileans were murdered had something to do with with their sin. Surely they have done something wrong to warrant such a terrible, terrible situation as this. And so here's Jesus' moment. Here's Jesus' moment to clarify maybe why this terrible event that probably no one in that day could have gotten their mind around. Think about the the Jewish people and the the worship that would have taken place at the temple. And now Pilate, just in a very vicious, evil way, kills these people and then mingles their blood with the sacrifices at the temple. A terrible thing. So here's Jesus' moment to provide some maybe political commentary or cultural analysis. Again, this would have been an event that would have stirred up a lot of anger and hatred and emotion. And Jesus responds, but not at all in the way that they would have expected. Notice what he says. He answered them, verse 2, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Seems a bit harsh. But he goes further. 
he brings up another headline of the day. We, we don't have a historical uh, reference to this, but Jesus and the people of his day would have certainly known about this event that he brings up. He goes on to bring up another tragedy, a tragedy at the Tower of Siloam. Siloam was a reservoir for Jer- Jerusalem located near the south and east walls of the city. Apparently, something happened there, scaffolding, falling, something that had killed 18 residents of Jerusalem, a very tragic event. And again, he responds, do you think that these 18 who died were worse offenders than all the other people who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. See, the crowd was, was, was pressing in on Jesus with this, this, this news headline of the day of the Galilean tragedy. They were pressing in and having this worldview that assumed that some tragic events or some kind of suffering must be the direct result of some personal sin. This was a common way to think. Remember the man born blind? Remember what they asked of of him? Did this man sin or his parents? Is this why he's blind? I mean, who did it? Who, who, Who sinned? I mean, otherwise he wouldn't be blind. They would often attach a tragedy or some form of suffering with some specific personal sin. And Jesus is is pushing back against that. And he's saying instead of being fixated on the reason why these things happened, they needed to understand a greater, more fundamental reality. And it is this. Death is coming to everyone. Death is something that will come to all because sin has impacted all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we know that Romans also teaches us that the wages of sin is death. So Jesus picks up on this, on these two tragic events, one that's brought to him and one that he raises himself. One was a terrible murder and one was a terrible tragedy. Both tragedies. And he brings this lesson home. Tragedy and suffering are moments for us to remember and be re- to be reminded of the fragility of human life. And while such events are horrible realities of a sin-cursed world, they ought to cause us all to immediately examine our lives before a holy God. In other words, Jesus was saying of these Galileans that were murdered and these 18 residents of Jerusalem that perished, he was saying this, that their sin was not extraordinarily horrible. What he was saying, it was ordinarily horrible, just like yours. Jesus says that death, tragic or not, is always a reminder of the universal problem of human depravity. Sin is the greatest global pandemic that has existed since Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the garden. And there is no vaccine that will keep any of us from it. It's a universal problem. Note the emphasis that Jesus places when he responds. You think these were worse sinners? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. The implication here was that all, everyone, had a need of repentance. Repentance is a word that is used often in connection to salvation, 
Faith and repentance are the responses to the gospel, inseparable responses. Repentance involves a turning away from. It's a call to turn away from sin and the false hopes of this world in order to put your trust in Jesus that you might follow him. He says, you will all likewise perish unless you repent. This this teaching about perishing. He's not saying that unless you repent, you will likewise perish, that you will die like these Galileans died, or that you'll somehow die in a tragic event like the 18. What he's saying is that unless you repent, you're going to die. The wages of sin is death, and this word perish seems to have a bit more of of an emphasis than just merely leaving this world. Just remind you of a, a verse we all know well, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There we see an example of how perishing is the opposite of everlasting life. It is eternal death in this sense. Jesus is saying when you encounter death, You need not ask why this happened, for it's coming for all of us unless Christ returns. And we know it is true that sin leads to suffering. One of the things that we see here is that 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 doesn't mean that we can always draw a straight line from a particular sin to a particular experience of suffering. This is what would happen often. Remember the the man born blind. Did this man sin or his parents because he's blind? They're drawing some sin that resulted in his blindness. And and Jesus is saying, no, sin does lead to suffering. The reason we experience tragedy and suffering and all the things that we do in this, this broken world is because sin, the world is jacked up because we rebelled against the creator. And all of us will die. Our focus should not be on the cause of a particular tragedy or suffering, but rather when we experience suffering in this world, we should be reminded of a greater eternal suffering that awaits all who would not repent. But here's the good news. While there may be no vaccine to keep us from contracting a sinful nature, there is a cure that will set us free from sin's curse. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here Jesus calls us to repentance. Our problem because of sin is that we are all in bondage. We are in rebellion against our creator and death, eternal death, is the sentence we all deserve. We deserve to be separated from the creator forever. So true repentance involves a, we could say, a new worship. A turning from serving self, a turning from being caught up in the ways of this world and in bondage to the ways of this world, to trusting in Christ and following him. It means being convicted by the Holy Spirit regarding the horrible reality of your sin, which is not simply the bad deeds you do, but it goes further than that that reveals a treachery in our hearts against God. I like what Vodibachum said about repentance. He said, true repentance is the result 
of an accurate understanding of the significance and gravity of sin, coupled with an overwhelming desire for the remission of that sin through the person and work of Christ and turning from sin and dead works to faith and obedience. That is the response of repentance when it comes to the good news of Jesus Christ. So, friends, a call to repent is a call to turn from your sin and find Jesus as the source of your true and lasting joy and worship. And, friends, this is a need all of us have. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a Christian, this is the message Jesus is telling you, you are a sinner deserving of God's eternal judgment. And unless you turn from that sin and put your trust and hope in Christ, you will perish forever. But Jesus calls you to repent and to put your hope in him so that you can be redeemed and rescued and reconciled. This is a universal need. There's no one that is immune from this need in this world. All of us have this need. It's a universal need, but number two, it's, a, it's an urgent need. Jesus moves on and he tells a parable. He gives this parable of a fig tree that is planted in a vineyard. I'm not sure exactly why you'd plant a fig tree in a vineyard. I'm sure there's agricultural reasons for that in the days of the early church and back in these days days in which Jesus and the disciples walked, but a man had a fig tree in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? The vine dresser answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. This parable is a parable that, in verses 1 through 5, the focus is upon individuals. Individual response and need for repentance. It's a universal need, but it's being applied to to everyone individually. But now this parable moves in in reference to this fig tree, and it's, it's a reference to the nation of Israel. This fig tree is symbolic of Israel. A fig tree would often be used in some language throughout the Bible as as reference to to Israel. And it's a parable that underscored the need for the nation to respond to the truth of the Messiah and to do so with a sense of urgency. And we know that vines in a vineyard would typically take three years to start producing fruit, but a fig tree would, would have yielded fruit annually. So the fact that the owner is frustrated at the barren tree is understandable. He concludes that the vineyard's better without it. It's just taking up space and maybe even nutrients, but there's no fruit. It's useless to the owner. And as the fig tree here represents Israel, the main point of the parable is a national warning to Israel. A national warning saying that judgment is real and the time to repent and bear fruit is short. God will hold this nation accountable for what they do regarding the promises of the Messiah. From the parable we see though that the owner, we see that the owner has given the tree plenty of time to produce fruit, to be fruitful, and yet it remained barren over these three years. 
And while the parable highlights the unfruitful state of Israel, it does show, you get a a glimpse here through implication of God's patience. He's given three years. And now the vine dresser comes along and says, let's, one more year. One more year. And if nothing happens then, fine and good. Let's do, let's do some work and give it one more year. Notice you, you see there just a, a reference to the patience of God that he's extended to his people. But yet that patience would have an ending point. As time would progress, we know that the nation would be judged in A.D. 70 when the destruction of the temple took place. It was a terrible time for the nation. And God would bring about his justice upon them in real time. Friends, when we think about this parable, there's so much about it that we could, we could focus on. But, but while it's a parable directed towards the, the Israelites, the nation of Israel in that day, it's certainly a warning by implication we can draw for ourselves today individually. The point is this, the time for the repentance that Jesus spoke of in verses one through five, the time for that is now. Israel had not responded to the message. They had rejected the Savior. They had turned their backs upon the true Messiah, the one who had been promised as he came, as he came to do his ministry. They had rejected him. The point of this parable is that The barrenness of this fig tree is one that warranted judgment. God had no use for a barren tree. Friends, the point of this is that even individually, as we think about God and what he's given us through Jesus, it's a reminder that the the call in verses 1 through 5 is an urgent call. The time to repent of your sin and to trust in Jesus is today. It's not, let me, let, me, let, me, let me get some things kind of done that I want to do in my life. It's, it's not, let me maybe think about this 10 years from now. No, the, the time to repent is now. We must not presume upon the patience and kindness of God. He is merciful, yes, but he is also just. And notice the repentance that we're called to pursue is a repentance that is intended to produce fruit. Remember John the Baptist in Matthew 3, verse 8, when he preached the the, the good news, he said in that preaching, he said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's a reminder to us that fruitlessness is useless to God. His call to us is to repent, but also that we would bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Israel was demonstrating their lack of repentance by their lack of fruit. And not truly embrace the Messiah, and it was evident. Thus, they were in grave danger of being cut down. Because I think that's a reminder to anyone, anyone who would claim to be in the church today, and yet their life is marked by barrenness, no fruit. They give one thing with their lips, but their fruitlessness gives evidence that they have not truly repented and turned to Christ. The call to repentance is a call to turn from one thing, enslavement to sin, to another, and that is Christ. Back in Luke chapter 6, verse 43 through 44, Jesus speaks of how good trees bear good fruits. 
Israel was not bearing the fruit of repentance. Therefore, it was in danger of being cut down. And it's a reminder to us that if we have truly repented and put our hope in Christ for our redemption, there will be fruit. We are called to repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This is a universal need for all of us, but it's an urgent need. This is not something we just think about for a while and maybe give attention to later. No, this is a plea for you. If you are not a Christian, the plea for you today, if you're watching us on the live stream or if you're here this morning, if you're not following Jesus, our plea to you, Jesus' plea to you, is to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. He is your only hope. He is your only hope, and this is a need every single person in the universe, in the the world, has. And it's urgent. This is not something to put off for another day. Now, what are some implications from this passage, some things that we should take away? Number one, consider your status before God. I think this is really the overarching point of these verses, highly evangelistic verses. Public tragedies are not a time to wonder why something has happened to a particular person or a group of people or to presume that it had something to do with a specific wrongdoing. Nothing gets me more animated than these preachers sometimes who will say, well, the reason this hurricane happened or the reason this happened is because it's some judgment of God. Read Luke chapter 13, preacher. This is not the time to meddle in in God's business. What we should do when we see hurricanes or tragedies or pandemics or whatever happens, when these things happen, we should step back and say, that could have been me. And unless I repent and, and get right with the Lord, I will perish forever. That should be the response The most urgent thing to consider in the face of any tragedy is the status of your own soul. Every time I go to a funeral, I'm reminded of this. I look at the casket or and say, that's coming for me one day. Unless Jesus comes again, that's going to be me. And I look out at the people that are there and that's going to be every single one of them one day. Tragedy should, should, should remind us of the sense of urgency of whether or not we've truly repented and trusted Christ. These events serve as opportunities to consider the, the fragile nature of human life and to consider eternity. When we served with our Moldovan brothers and sisters, I always loved how they would refer to their conversion. Anytime, anytime, I, I, I can't think of an exception, every time you would hear one of these brothers and sisters share their testimony and how they would speak of their conversion, they would never say some Americanized statement like, I asked Jesus into my heart. They wouldn't say that. They wouldn't just say, I was saved. The way that they would refer to their, 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 their testimony, their conversion, is they would say, I repented 10 years ago. 20 years ago, I repented They would refer to their their conversion in terms of repentance. I repented back in two weeks ago. Whenever they they trusted Christ, they would refer to it that way. 
And friend, I would just simply ask you today, have you repented? Have you turned from a life enslaved to sin and given your life over in faith to Jesus Christ, who is the only one that can save you from your sin? Have you repented? Number two, not only should you consider your status before God, you should rejoice and live in the kindness of God's mercy. Christians, before you think that this is a passage only for unbelievers, listen. This parable of the barren fig tree teaches us several things, but one of the things it teaches us is that God is merciful and patient. Through the earnest pleading of the vine dresser, we see the kindness of God through his patience and mercy. Listen, sir, leave it alone this year also. Give it another chance, one more year. It's worthy to be cut down. Yes, three years, no fruit. I I get it. But let's give it one more shot. Mercy is often referred to as the darling attribute of God. He is a God who delights in showing mercy. Listen, all of us who claim to be Christians, who who follow Jesus, every single one of us are debtors to the mercy of God. God's mercy is the reason, is the reason we all have been spared judgment. God's mercy is the reason that we weren't snuffed out in an instant when we took our first breath. And being objects of his mercy is the reason that we're able to hear the good news and repent when we did. When you look back to your conversion, brothers and sisters, that's a testimony to the patience and mercy and kindness of God. This parable may have been speaking directly to the nation of Israel, but the truth is that we are all objects of God's mercy if we are in Christ. Were it not for mercy is the testimony of us all. Were it not for mercy, the reason we have been brought into the family of God has nothing to do with our performance, has nothing to do with our ability, has nothing to do with our efforts. Our salvation is not something we've deserved or earned. It is a gift of God's mercy and grace. It's a testimony to his patience. Praise God for that gift. Praise God that he was merciful with us. That there was time for us to repent, to trust, to bear fruit. True repentance is fruitful. Reminded reminded through John the Baptist and other places that we're called to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So not only ought we rejoice in the kindness of God's patience and mercy, we should live with an ongoing fruitfulness that reflects the, the repentance that we have pursued. You see, God's patience was given to the tree. The tree was alive, it had leaves. It just didn't have fruit. God's patience was given to the tree, not just so that it could live and take up nutrients without fruit. No, the purpose of the tree was to be a fig tree. 
Not just a tree. To be a fig tree, to bear fruit, to produce its, its existing for a purpose. Friends, that's the truth of a Christian. A Christian doesn't simply exist to take up air and breath and place in the world. A Christian is called to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. If you want to be one who praises God for his mercy, then we should strive to be stewards of it by how we go about our lives in fruitfulness. Now, certainly being a follower of Christ doesn't mean you don't struggle with sin. It simply means you've turned from sin's rule of your life so that Jesus is now the one who rules you. Brothers and sisters, we need to be reminded that a barren, fruitless life is an affront to God. It's offensive to him. Repentance is not a one-time action. It is a lifelong commitment to honoring the Lord as one of the objects of his mercy. It begins in a point in time, but it carries on until we see Jesus face to face. So as Christians, we should rejoice and live in the kindness of God's mercy. We should rejoice that God was merciful and patient, giving us time to repent. And we should live lives that reflect this reality. And then number three, we should speak with a sense of urgency regarding the gospel. Speak with a sense of urgency regarding the gospel. From Jesus' response in verses 1 through 5 and the parable in verses 6 through 9, the main point we need to take away is the urgent need for everyone everywhere to repent. And for those of us who have, by God's grace, those of us who are followers of Jesus, this means that a text like this should remind us as Christians of the urgent need. If there's the urgent universal need to repent, then that means there's the urgent need to get the gospel out there so that people can. Here's the reality about every person you encounter. Every person you know, every person you encounter, unless they repent and turn to Christ, they will perish. Every single one of them. The neighbor you keep thinking I need to get to know. The guys and girls in your school, on your team, your children, your parents, your siblings, your co-workers, your hairstylists, your friends. Every single one of them that you may know dearly and love deeply, every single one of them, unless they repent of their sin and put their trust in Christ, they will perish forever. That is true of every single one of them. This passage reminds us that as those who have repented, we are called to, with, with a sense of urgency, to share this message with others so that they know they know the grave danger that they're in so that they can turn and put their hope in Christ. Friend, I, I just ask you, who is it in your life you've been holding back from engaging with the gospel? Every single one of us in this room ought to have someone that flashes in our minds immediately. Who is it that, that you've been like, ah, just give me some time, okay? What about the past five years that you've known them? Is that not long enough? Maybe other friendships or acquaintances that have been shorter in time, but this passage reminds us that there is urgency. Who is it that you've been holding back from engaging with the truth of the gospel? 
Or maybe you've explained the gospel to them in bits and pieces and you kind of told them about Jesus, but you've never really called them to repent. The call to faith and repentance is just as much part of the gospel message as the rest of it. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says in verse 20, chapter 5, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. In the Bible, there's not this idea of sharing the gospel. There is imploring, pleading, asking people to repent and put their faith in Jesus. Remember that. Who are you holding back from engaging? And when you have the opportunity, are you calling them to repent of their sin and put their hope in Christ? In high school, I had a friend named Tim. After graduation, we went our own different ways, and that's how it goes, by the way. For those of you who haven't graduated yet, uh, you'll find that out. You'll go different ways. But uh, after graduation, we went our own ways. But a, a few years later, Tim materialized in my life. He began working for the same company I was working for at the time. And Tim had a reputation, I'd known this from high school, of struggling with a lot of different things, including drugs. And it was also this time where he, uh, this, this same time after high school, that the, that the Lord was really at work in my life. And I remember this time that, that I looked up and there's Tim. He's working at the same place I'm working. I'm like, hey, and we re- reconnected and I remember distinctly thinking how I needed to encourage Tim to look to Christ and and to experience the things that I've been enjoying. But it wasn't long until Tim soon quit and moved on. And a short time later, I remember getting word that he died of an overdose. And as soon as I got word, I couldn't help but think, why didn't I say something to him? Why did I just beat around the bush? Why, Why didn't I... Go all in with him. Folks, the reality is that we are all surrounded by people who aren't promised another day. The window of mercy may be quite limited for some. And the Lord has providentially placed us where we are to tell people where they can find hope. We are all called to be ambassadors. I know evangelism can be a struggle. It's intimidating at times. It's it's hard. Maybe you've grown discouraged even lately in your own evangelism. There are 10 copies, green booklets out there in the Ministry Connection. This little book called What If I'm Discouraged in My Evangelism by Isaac Adams. First come, first serve. You can have it. If, you, if there's still copies available, just go pick one up. If you're discouraged in your evangelism, you want to be encouraged, be reminded of what God says. Friends, the, the truth of the matter is, is there's an urgent need for us as ambassadors to get the word out. And sometimes we just grow a little lazy, don't we? We just forget about that urgency. This message is relevant for every single person you know. Every single, there's more non-Christians out there than there are of us. It's urgent and it's relevant. It's relevant for everyone in the world. There are still people groups who have no access to the gospel, none. There are still people groups in the world 
that have no way right now of hearing the truth of what we're talking about and, and assuming this morning. So maybe for some of us, we need to consider being mobilized in a way where we can invest in a strategic part of the world where this message can be declared with boldness. A different sense of urgency exists there. More laborers are needed. Friends, this is a message that should always be upon our lips. And God calls us to invest our lives, whether here or abroad, in places where we can speak the truth of who Jesus is and call people to repent of their sin and put their hope in him. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's the message. It's universal and it's urgent. Friend, do you need to repent of your sins and put your hope in Jesus Christ today? We would love nothing more than to talk with you about what that means. To walk with you what it means to have a relationship with Christ, to be forgiven of your sins and to have him as Lord over you. Fellow believers, are you stewarding your own repentance? You've ever thought about it that way? Stewarding your own repentance by rejoicing regularly in the mercy that God has given you? By bearing fruit in keeping with repentance and pleading with others so that they can enjoy the same? That's the message Jesus gives Repent. Unless you do, you all likewise perish. But praise God for his mercy that he gives us that opportunity to do so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this universal and urgent reminder. Lord, we're reminded this morning that this world is fallen. We're reminded, Lord, that there's not a person on the planet that has escaped the impact of sin. That all of us are sinners by nature and by choice. All of us have rebelled against you, our creator. All of us have sought our own way. All of us, Lord, have turned against you in a treasonous way and sought to seek salvation in other ways. Father, if there are any here this morning or any watching our live stream that have never trusted in Christ, never repented of their sin and, and put their hope in Jesus, Lord, would you work in them this morning? Would you grant them repentance and faith that they may trust you and turn from the enslavement, the bondage of sin and to experience and rejoice in the newness of life that you gladly and mercifully give? Father, would you help us as your people who have been given this gift, Lord, to rejoice in it and to be stewards of it. Lord, that we would not presume upon our repentance, but we would not take it lightly, nor, Lord, would we ignore the opportunities that you give us daily to speak to others. Father, would you impress upon us this universal need to repent and this urgent need to do so. And Lord, would you give us opportunity this very day or this very week to share the truth with others and call them to enjoy the blessings of your grace that we experience daily. God, would you help us? We need you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.